We have a Bible. We're going to be in Joshua. Joshua chapter 7 is where we're going to be. And over the last several weeks, we've been in a series that we've been calling Built to be Brave. And we're talking about how we can have spiritual courage in the day in which we are living. And we're learning from the book of Joshua. And today, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. And we're going to start reading in verse number 1. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. But Joshua chapter 7, verse number 1. The Bible says this. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but a few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, and chased them from before the gate even unto Shabarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Today, for a few minutes, I'd like to speak to this subject, a door of hope. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, there is a door of hope. All right. And everybody turn to your second choice, your second option and say, there is a door of hope. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time we can come together and lift up your name and celebrate the fact that you are alive and well. And God, no matter what we might be going through in our lives today, no matter what burdens we're carrying or stress we are enduring, God, we recognize that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that you go before and you know it all. And so Lord, I pray that we would find great comfort in your word today. And Lord, I pray that we would understand this chapter Joshua chapter 7 and how it applies to our lives. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us this morning in areas that we need to be convicted. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged as well in areas of our lives that we need to be encouraged. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning, Amen. how many of you know a troublemaker in your life? Anybody know a troublemaker? Someone that causes, stirs trouble? How many of you, I'm seeing people point fingers this morning. How many of you are that troublemaker? Anybody want to acknowledge that? I remember when I was in junior high, I was a little bit of a troublemaker, and I was very excited for the day that we were going to dissect a frog in biology class. How many of you remember that time you could dissect a frog? You know, it went great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The only problem was I decided to take two of the frog legs and bring them with me to my next class, which was my Spanish class. 
And I thought it would be humorous with my friends to place those frog legs inside the bag of my Spanish teacher. And she did not think that it was humorous, and uh, it did not turn out well for me. And uh, my Spanish is still a little bit lacking today, I think, because of that. And uh, I certainly got into some trouble because of that. We come to Joshua chapter 7 this morning, and we are introduced to a troublemaker. Uh, This person certainly caused some trouble, and you say... Well, how do we know that he was a troublemaker? Well, his name actually means trouble. And so Achan is the man that we are introduced to, and Achan means trouble. And so when Achan walked into a room, trouble walked into a room. And Achan was a man that caused trouble for his own life, and he caused trouble for his own family, and he caused trouble for all the people of Israel. And Joshua chapter 7 is a very interesting chapter that is different from the chapters that we've already studied in this series. If you remember chapters 1 through 6, each one of those chapters starts with a word uh, that starts with either the word and or the word now. Uh, In other words, the idea is that we're adding to, we're we're moving forward, we're conquering the promised land. And they went and attacked uh, Jericho, and now they they are moving forward. But when you come to Joshua chapter 7, this chapter starts very differently, not with the word and or now, but with the word but. And so right off the bat, we realize something is different about this chapter. In fact, notice verse number one of Joshua chapter seven. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. And so right off the bat, we learned that even though they were moving forward and God just gave them a great victory in Jericho, now we see in verse number one of chapter seven, but there was sin in the camp. Uh, But there was a trespass before the Lord that limited their uh, progress moving forward. And so Joshua chapter 7 is a chapter in Scripture that zeroes in on the subject of sin. Now, this might be uncomfortable for some of us because in our culture today, we don't like to talk about sin. Uh, Sin is something that we typically minimize. Sin is something that we kind of want to uh, avoid conversation about. Uh, Sin, by nature, is a surgical topic in that it hurts before it heals. But I believe that there is great wisdom and great value in learning to uh, talk about sin and confessing and getting right uh, before the Lord so that uh, we can lead ourselves to healing uh, before the Lord. Uh, The word sin simply means to miss the mark. How many of you have ever missed the mark in your life? You missed the mark. I remember one time I was golfing with my brother-in-law. It was his first time ever golfing. He was trying to learn. And uh, we went to the tee box and we were getting ready to tee off. And the fairway was right down the middle. And he goes to tee off. And somehow, some way, he hit that ball straight to his left this way into another fairway. There was literally a golf cart, golf cart, true story, uh, driving. He hit the passenger of the golf cart with his ball in the leg. The person fell out of the golf cart and was rolling on the ground. And, uh, and I was like, I don't know how in the world you did that but he certainly missed the mark and uh, that is something that I think all of us can resonate with in life that we've all fallen short of the glory of God we've all missed the mark in fact that's something that we all have in common this morning everybody that is sitting around you everyone that's watching online today no matter what your education is no matter what your experience is no matter what your background is we all are sinners in need of a savior and so sin is something that we all deal with It's common to all men, and there's good news, because the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse number 6, knowing this, that our old man, that is our old nature, our old flesh, is crucified with him. It's crucified with Jesus. 
That the body of sin might be destroyed. Watch this phrase. That henceforth, moving forward, we should not serve sin. And this is something that I want you to be encouraged by today because maybe you are here today and you are trapped in a sin. Maybe you feel as though you are stuck in sin. Maybe you feel as though there is some besetting sin that you have not been able to get victory over. And the Apostle Paul told the church at Rome that henceforth, moving forward, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we do not have to serve our sin, that sin is not our master, but we can encounter the grace of God and that will lead to freedom in his name. And so yes, talking about sin might be a little painful or uncomfortable, but ultimately it leads to healing and liberation and freedom that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, Joshua chapter 7 marks the first setback for the people of God as they encountered the promised land. If you remember, the promised land was this land that uh, God had promised to his people. They just crossed over the Jordan River. They had this great victory in Jericho. Things were going great. And now in chapter 7, they have this setback. They have their first valley. You know, it's interesting that Moses, when he was describing the promised land back in Deuteronomy chapter number 11, he talked about how the promised land had hills and valleys. And I think that he was talking more just about more than just the geographical landscape of the promised land, I believe he was speaking spiritually as well, that as we move forward in the Christian life and, and as we want to live a victorious Christian life, there will be hills and valleys. And you know, it's easy to have spiritual courage when we're on top of the hill. It's easy to have spiritual courage after you see the walls of Jericho fall down. It's easy to have courage when you're at a mountaintop experience. But I believe that spiritual courage is formed and shaped and developed within us when we're in the valley. That, that's why the Bible says in Psalm 23, verse number four, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so when we're in the valley, we have an opportunity to encounter God's presence in a unique and powerful way. Now, what was the specific sin that Israel was dealing with in Joshua chapter seven? Well, I want you to go back to verse number one. Are you still with me today? It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing, the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabadi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And so specifically, the Bible says that Achan took of the accursed thing. Well, if you read in Joshua chapter six, the chapter that came right before, God told them explicitly and clearly to not touch the accursed thing. All of the plunder from Jericho, he said, don't touch it, don't take it, it belongs to the Lord. And that's what it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse number 18. And Achan, rather than submitting to that instruction, he ignores it and he takes of the accursed thing. And so we see that there is this trespass. And then it says at the end of verse number 1, this phrase, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, it would be very easy for me to preach this passage and to skip over that little phrase. But I believe that I would not be uh, being faithful to the text if I didn't highlight this phrase that the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people of Israel. Because just like we don't like to talk about sin in our culture, we also don't like to think about the anger of the Lord. It's easy to talk about the love of God, and we should. It's easy to talk about the grace of God, and we should, and his mercy and his kindness that endures for all generations. But we also have to recognize today that the God that we worship is a God who can get angry. Now, this might not sit well with us, but I believe that actually deep down, we all long for a God that gets angry. Deep down, we want to worship a God that gets angry. You say, what do you mean? 
Well, when you consider the great evil of the world today, when you consider the great injustices that you see in America and around the world and you hear about terrible, wicked things like child prostitution and human trafficking and rape and genocide and you hear about these awful, terrible things, we long for a God who will make all things right. We long for a God who will have righteous indignation and he and he alone can bring about ultimate justice. And so the Bible says that, that, that the anger of the Lord kindled against them. But you need to know that the anger of the Lord is very different than our anger. The Bible says in the book of Psalms and elsewhere that our God is full of mercy, he's full of compassion, and he's slow to anger. He's slow to anger. That is the opposite of how we get angry. We are quick-tempered. How many of you have ever had a quick temper? Can I see those hands? Okay, we'll have an invitation at the end for all of you that raise your hand. And we can have a quick temper. We can be happy in one minute, and the next minute we just have a temper tantrum about something. You know, we're listening to worship music, driving in our car. Someone cuts us off. All of a sudden, we are quick-tempered, and we are upset in that moment. Can anybody relate to that, or is that just me? Okay. So we have a quick temper, but the Bible says that God is slow to anger. He's long-suffering, that he's patient and gives us chance after chance after chance. And he is so patient with us. By the way, aren't you thankful for the patience of God when it comes to our lives and our decisions? But he is slow to anger. Uh, God's anger is not like our anger. Uh, Our anger is typically based out of a wounded ego. Because we're embarrassed, because we don't get our way, we get angry. But God's anger is based out of love for his children. He loves us so much that he wants the best for us. And so we see the anger of God here revealed in this chapter as this, as this calamity takes place. And as we'll see, there was great devastation because of the sin of one man uh, in this chapter. But what I want us to do as we study this chapter together this morning is I want us to see some ways that we, as followers of Jesus, can avoid spiritual disaster. How many of you today would say, I want to avoid spiritual disaster with my life? Like, we don't plan to mess up our lives. We don't wake up one day and say, today I'm going to ruin my life. But how can we avoid spiritual disaster learning from this text? Well, I want you to see the first thing today. Number one is this. We have to depend on the Lord regardless of the fight. When it comes to our faith and our trust and our dependence upon the Lord, we don't get to pick and choose when we want to trust in the Lord and when we think that we can handle it and when we think, oh, I need to trust in the Lord. We have to depend on him regardless of the fight. Notice verse number two. The Bible says this, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And so what we see in verse number two is that Joshua did something that he had done before. He sent spies to Ai to survey and view the land. Now they come back with a report of Ai, this this neighboring city, in verse number three. Notice it. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but a few. And so they come back with this report about Ai, And this report is marked by two things that I want you to see. First, it's marked by confidence. Did you notice their self-confidence as they came back? Like, Joshua, we don't need to bring all of our soldiers. Uh, Let's just bring two or 3,000. In in chapter 8, it says that the entire city of Ai had about 12,000 people, and so their army would have been significantly less than that. And so they come back and they say, Joshua, this is a small town. We just beat Jericho. I mean, we do not need to bring all of our army here. Uh, Let's just go send two or 3,000 people, and uh, we'll surely get the victory. And they were marked by their self-confidence. But what they did not know was that because there was sin in the camp and because Achan had stolen of the accursed thing, that God's presence was not with them. 
And it did not matter how many people that they had with them. If God's presence was not with them, they were not going to win the victory. Can I tell you today that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. It doesn't matter how many opportunities you have. It doesn't matter how many resources you have. If God's not in it, it's all in vain. That if God's not in it, it's going to be to no avail. In this report, they come back and they're very self-confident. It's very different than the report that the spies brought back in chapter number two. I want you to see the uh, difference. There's this juxtaposition that we see in their first report. In chapter two, verse 24, it says this. Truly, the Lord hath delivered all the land into our hands. Did you notice the difference? In chapter two, they say, truly, the Lord hath delivered all the land into our hands. The Lord hath delivered. They said, God's got this. But then in chapter 7, they come back and they say, we got this. You want to know the difference between spiritual disaster and spiritual victory? It's the difference between we got this and God's got this. See, we have to learn to depend on the Lord regardless of the size of the fight. And so this was a seemingly smaller battle, but they still needed to rely upon the Lord. And so not only was this report marked by their confidence, but it was also marked by their convenience. I want you to see something in verse number 3. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but a few. Did you notice this phrase? Let's not make all the people labor. Let's not make all the people work. Joshua, we've been kind of burnt out, if we're being honest. Like, Jericho took a lot out of us. We had to walk six times around that wall for six days and seven times of the seventh day. Man, we're pretty tired. And so for this next battle, Joshua, we're kind of, we're kind of worn out. And so let's not make everybody work. Uh, let's just kind of rest. Let's give everybody a break. And we'll just send a small amount and we'll win. And so this report was marked by uh, their confidence, but it was also marked by their convenience. Now, please hear me. I believe that when you're following Jesus and in our lives, we need to have margin in our lives. We need to prioritize rest. Did you know that God wants you to rest? Sometimes in our culture today, we glorify hustle and we glorify grind and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work so many hours a week. Uh, But the reality is, is God wants us to rest so that we can fix our eyes and attention on him. And so I believe that we should rest and I believe that we should have margin. But I also believe that our decisions should not be driven by convenience. We should not keep convenience as a determining factor when determining God's will. Uh, What is just convenient for me? Uh, There was a king in 2 Kings chapter number 12, 1 Kings chapter 12 named Jeroboam, and he said this, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto the people, it is too much, everybody say too much, much. it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. He was saying, you want to go all the way to Jerusalem, all the way up to the temple to worship? That's too much. You're a little too serious about your faith. You're a, little bit, you're a little bit crazy. If you want to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship, it's too much. Behold, thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and he put the other in Dan. He said, look, I'm going, to make conven- I'm going to make worship a whole lot more convenient for you. You can go right here, and you can worship. You don't have to travel very far at all. And here's the problem. Many Christians, they are struggling, and they are losing the battle because they are worshiping at the altar of convenience. I'll follow Jesus as long as it's convenient for my schedule. I'll follow Jesus as long as it's convenient for my budget. I'll follow Jesus as long as it's convenient in my relationships. But as soon as I encounter an inconvenience, now all of a sudden they say, Joshua, let's not make all the people labor. Let's not make all the people work. Let's kind of just ease up a little bit. And so this report was marked by their confidence and their convenience. But did you notice that at the beginning of chapter number seven, there is one glaring omission. 
They, they go, Joshua's like, all right, they send 3,000 people, they go, 36 people die in verses four and five. They lost the battle. Uh, this is the only time casualties are reported under the leadership of Joshua. 36 people die. They, they flee in fear. They lost the battle. And there's one glaring omission that we see that's present in the previous battle of Jericho. And that is that the people and the leadership prayed before the battle. That in chapter six, before Jericho, he learned to bow before the battle. We talked about that last week. This week, there was no prayer. They, they failed to seek God in the decision-making process. And if Joshua would have had a little prayer meeting, then God could have revealed to him that there was sin in the camp, and now is not the time to move forward. But rather than relying and depending upon the Lord, they decided to rely and to depend on themselves. And here's what we need to know, that regardless of the size of the battle in your life, we have to rely upon the Lord. You know, sometimes it's easy to rely on God for the big things. Man, I need a job, and if I don't get a job, uh, I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table, so God, will you please provide for me? But then in the little things, sometimes we think, I got this. I've done this, I've done this a million times. But I believe that we need to depend upon the Lord regardless of the fight. That's number one. Here, here's the second thought today. You ready for number two? Respond to failure with the right mindset. You know, sometimes when we fail, and we will fail, it's our response that hurts us the most. It's our mindset. Uh, this past week, my son Luke, he lost a baseball game. And because he lost the baseball game, their team is not going to make it to the playoffs. And he was very disappointed that he lost that game. After the game, he was upset. And uh, I went to give him a high five. And he did not want to give me a high five. And I pulled him aside and I got intense with him for a second. I said, Luke, you give me a high five right now. And I said, I said, it's good to win, but you need to learn how to lose. And see, the reality is, is we're all going to fail in life. Failure is inevitable, but growth is optional. We're all going to fail. We're all going to make, make mistakes. We're all going to fall short, but growth is up to you. Do you want to grow from that failure and grow from that mistake, or do you want to stay stuck in stagnation and wallow in your misery? Now, Joshua didn't know why they failed the battle at this point in the text. They went, 36 people died, they came back, they were, they were, their, their spirit was melting as water. They were, they were cowering in their fear, and Joshua didn't know why. God was about to reveal it to him, but Joshua here, he responds with a broken heart. And in his response, I believe that we find a healthy response to failure. And so if you're a note taker today, I want to give you four responses to failure that we see from Joshua. And so if you want to jot a couple of these things down, uh, four responses to failure. First is humility. Joshua had a spirit of humility. Notice verse number six. It says this, and Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord, even uh, until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. These were symbolic signs of repentance, to put dust on your heads, to rent your clothes, to tear your clothes. Joshua was mourning. He was repenting. In other words, when it came to this loss, Josh, Joshua didn't uh, just treat it lightly. Joshua didn't say, well, you win some, you lose some. You know, okay, we just wanted Jericho. Okay, we lost. We'll, we'll get the next one. No, he demonstrated a, a heart that was broken over the sin uh, over this loss of life and, and a heart that was broken that they lost this, this battle. But I find it interesting in Joshua's spirit of humility. Did you see where Joshua went to pray? D did you see where Joshua went when he tore his clothes and when he put dust on his head? Verse number six tells us. The Bible says that he went before the ark of the Lord. Did you see that? He went before the ark of the Lord. Now, if you remember, the ark of the Lord represents the presence of God. Now, 
uh, in the New Testament, we see that the ark even points us to Jesus, and it's amazing to see uh, how, how Jesus is typified in the ark of the covenant. But in the Old Testament, for Joshua and the people, they knew that the ark represented God's presence. And so you need to see this, that when Joshua lost the battle, and when the people experienced a great loss and a great defeat, Joshua did not run from the presence of the Lord, but he ran to the presence of the Lord. See, where you run in times of adversity will ultimately define you. And so often when we are hurting, when we are broken, when we are going through a difficult season, the devil wants to tempt us to run away from God's presence, to run away from God's house, when that is when you need God's house and God's presence the most. Can I encourage you, when you feel like you don't have it all together, that's when you need to come to the 10 o'clock service. That's when you need to get plugged into a small group. Hey, don't run from his presence, run to his presence. Joshua said, we just lost. I don't even know why but I'm going to go to God's presence. I'm not going to run from uh, God's uh, people. I'm not going to run from his presence. And he responded with humility, but not only with humility, he responded with honesty. Notice verse seven. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought us this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Now, this was not the best response from Joshua. He is doubting and questioning God's purpose and his plan, but he's doing so with the spirit of honesty. This is very real, very raw from Joshua. He's like, God, if you were going to allow us to experience this victory and this loss of life, why didn't we just stay on the other side of Jordan? God, why did you even lead us here if we are going to experience this loss? Now, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback for Joshua, it's easy for us on Sunday morning to be like, come on, Joshua, pull it together. Of course, God has a plan. I don't know why you would ever even doubt uh, Joshua, of course. You know, I wonder, in this text, I was thinking about this this week. I was just kind of using my imagination a little bit. If Joshua, on his way to pray before the Ark of the Covenant, I wonder if in Gilgal, he passed by those 12 stones that they set up in Joshua chapter 4. Remember those 12 stones that they established after they miraculously crossed over the Jordan River? Those 12 stones that served as a memorial, as a reminder of God's power and his faithfulness? I wonder if Joshua, as he was going to make this complaint, if he passed by those 12 stones. Because now, instead of remembering God's faithfulness, Joshua is regretting his own obedience. And this is how the devil works in our lives. That when we take a step of faith and we do something that God wants us to do, he will allow us to encounter adversity. And when we encounter adversity, we will begin to doubt those good decisions that we made for the Lord. So you need to know that every decision for Christ will be disputed for certain. That anytime you make a decision for God, the devil's going to jump on your back and begin to get you to doubt. Maybe you shouldn't have witnessed to your neighbor. Maybe you shouldn't have started giving uh, of your tithes and offerings. Maybe you shouldn't have taken that step of faith. Uh, maybe you shouldn't have done that. But I want to encourage you today. Don't doubt in the night what God gave you in the light. If God has called you to do something, when you encounter adversity, don't start to regret that obedience in the decision to move forward. He responded with uh, humility and honesty, but he also responded with a little bit of spiritual maturity. Notice it in verse number nine. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ around us and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? I, I love this. Joshua was primarily concerned with not his own name, but with the name of the one true God, Yahweh. He, he was showing here spiritual maturity. He was saying, God, what is this going to do to your name? See, a lot of people don't sin because they don't want to get caught. A lot of people don't sin because they're afraid of the consequences. 
But the primary motivation for us to not sin is because we don't want to taint the name of Jesus. Because we don't want to hurt the glory of the Lord. And so Joshua says, God, I'm concerned with your name. So he demonstrates honesty and humility and maturity. But then here's the fourth response to failure. And I love the fourth one, activity. Notice it in verse number 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, get up. Get up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? See, what God was telling Joshua is, hey, you've made a mistake and there was a time of mourning, but now is the time to get up and to move forward in the plan that I have for you. Joshua, now you need to get up. Hey, don't let this failure define you. Don't let this disappointment define you. You need to get up and move on with the calling that I have for you. I was reading this week about Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz was uh, the uh, artist and uh, the writer for the Peanuts comic strip. And uh, there he is right there. And I read this week that Peanuts was not the original name for the comic strip. When Charles Schultz first invented these characters and, and, and Snoopy and Linus and uh, Charlie Brown, when he first invented this, this uh, set of characters, he named his comic strip uh, Little Folk. Little folk. And uh, that's what he wanted to call it, like just these little guys, and, and uh, that was the story. But when he first got the opportunity to publish this story, uh, the, the, the publisher said, you can't call it Little Folk. We're going to call it Peanuts instead. And uh, it's, been, it's been known that, that Charles Schultz never liked the name Peanuts. Uh, he hated it, and yet he still drew uh, under this name of Peanuts, and uh, he decided that he had this opportunity. They were going to publish it, and so he did it, and little did he know when he first started drawing pictures for Peanuts that it would turn into a $1 billion empire, and he's so glad that he decided, even when he was disappointed that he couldn't call it what he wanted to call it, that he still moved forward, that he still got up and still continued to draw. Can I tell you today, do not let that failure define you. When you make a mistake, the Bible says that the just man will fall seven times, but praise the Lord, he rises up again. Joshua, now is the time to get up and to move forward. Joshua, now is not the time to pray. You've already been praying, Joshua. The time for prayer is over. You need to move forward. Sometimes we use prayer as a disguise for inactivity. That we will say, you know, I'm really praying about it. I'm, I'm praying about it. I remember one time I was, I was doing a Christian club at a public school, and there was this guy that I was going with, and he was going a lot longer than I was, and he was going for about a year, and he told me one day, he said, I've been praying for this security guard to come to church. I've been praying for him for, for a year now. Every day I'm praying that he'll come to church. And I was like, that's awesome. And I said, have you ever invited him? And he was like, no, 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 I haven't invited him. And I thought, I thought in my head, I'm so glad that you're praying for him, but I think we probably should extend an invitation. <laughs> Sometimes we will use prayer as this camouflage to disguise inactivity. When we don't want to take a step of faith, we'll just say, I'm praying about it. And God says to Joshua, now is not the time to pray. Now is the time to move forward because you already know what it is that you need to do. And so Joshua gets all the people together, and he's going to call all the families, all the tribes together, and he's going to give an opportunity for the person that sinned to come forward. God, in his grace, gave Achan this troublemaker, he gave Achan this opportunity to come and to confess his sin and to bring it uh, to light. And so he gets everybody together uh, to do that, and, uh, and uh, Achan fails to move forward. But I want you to see in verse number, or I want you to see uh, the third thought today. Number three is this, if you're taking notes. Uh, we see this. We have to identify the predictable progression of sin. If we want to get victory over sin, we have to identify this predictable progression. So they bring all the people together. Achan doesn't come forward. And in verse number 19, Joshua confronts him. By the way, 
Remember, whenever it comes to conviction in your life, that conviction from the Lord is a gift. Sometimes we don't like that, that conviction. When, when we know that we did something wrong, we kind of feel that, that guilt about it. We feel that conviction. But never forget that conviction is a gift intended by God to keep you in the right lane. And so when God convicts you, he wants to help steer you in the right direction. Now, they're, they're going to confront Achan here. Notice verse number 19. It says this in verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. So Achan says, I did sin, I did do wrong, and this is what I did, this is how I did it. Notice verse number 21. When I saw, everybody say saw, saw. among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold, and 50 shekels of weight, then I coveted them, everybody say covet, and took, everybody say took, and behold, they are hid, everybody say hid, in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. Here is the predictable progression of sin. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. We see this all throughout the scripture, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Eve saw the fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes. She desired to have that fruit. She took that fruit and ate of it, and then she and Adam went and hid themselves. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. This is the predictable progression of sin. And so we have to recognize that often calamity begins with a look. Be very careful what you set your eyes to. Be, be very careful what you allow into your mind. Uh, I saw, I coveted. Uh, the devil can destroy someone's life so quickly when materialism takes root. He saw that Babylonian garment. It looked nice. It looked expensive. Uh, it was tempting. He saw. He coveted. He wanted to have that. See, so often people will mess up their lives because they are dissatisfied with what God has given them or where God has placed them. I want something else. That looks so good. He saw. He coveted. He took. He stole it. I read this week that a couple of weeks ago in Arizona there was a Dairy Queen. Do we have any Dairy Queen fans at the 10 o'clock service? Okay. I saw that there was this Dairy Queen, and somebody in this Arizona Dairy Queen stole that spoon from off of the building. And they stole it. They took it. And the owner had one simple question. What are they going to do with the spoon? <laughs> they were unsure about that. In fact, all the workers of this particular Dairy Queen for the next couple of weeks, they wore shirts that said, where's my spoon? And they were trying to find the spoon. I have good news to report to you today. I think we have a next picture. They found the spoon. It was just kind of... By a fence somewhere. Yes, thank you. They found the spoon. But he had one question. What are they going to do with this giant spoon? I have one question for Achan. What was he going to do with that Babylonian garment? He couldn't wear it. You know, he, he couldn't wear it. If, he wear it. if he wore it, everybody would know that he stole it, where he got it from. And so what was he going to do? Just every once in a while, go and kind of look at it. There it is under my tent. Oh, it still looks great. What was he going to do with that? Uh, he, he took that Babylonian garment, but he also took gold and silver. Now, there's a very important word that I want you to see in verse number 21. Notice it in verse number 21. It says this. When I saw among the spoils, the spoils. What, what did Achan label the things that he took? The spoils. The spoils of war. In his mind, there's nothing wrong. This was, this was a customary. This is just what you did in battle. If you got the victory, you would take the spoils from the battle. But the problem was, in Joshua chapter 6, verse number 19, God said uh, that these things were not spoils of war. In verse number 19, he said, take the gold and silver and consecrate them to my house. Co consecrate them to the Lord. And so Achan 
called these things spoils, but they actually belonged to the treasury of the Lord. He wasn't stealing from the Amorites. He was stealing from the Lord, but he just simply relabeled it to make himself feel better about the sin that he committed. Be very careful that you don't try to change God's dictionary. So, so many people today, they are calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil. See, Achan was saying, these are just the spoils of war. This is no problem. But God said, no, these aren't the spoils of war. These things belong to me, and you're not just robbing them. Ultimately, Achan, you are robbing me. And so here is the progression of sin that we have to see. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. Uh, the Bible talks about this in the New Testament as well. In James chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, there's two kind of outdoorsmen. Uh, terms here that James uses when he says drawn away that's a hunting uh, that's a hunting phrase to 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 draw away like a hunter is going to lure its prey to draw away of his own lust that desire and enticed that's a fishing term uh, to, to have the bait that's that's tempting that's enticing he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed then when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished it bringeth forth death do not err, my beloved brethren. Do you see the predictable progression of sin? We have to identify those first moments of lust, those first moments of temptation, those first things that tempt our eyes and to say, you know, I know where this leads. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Notice verse number 25 of our text. Are you still with me? Verse 25. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. Now remember, Achan's name means trouble. And he says, why have you troubled us? Now God's going to trouble you. Do you see the play on words? Be very careful in life. You will always reap what you sow. He says, you have given us trouble. Now the Lord's going to give you trouble. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. After that, they had stoned him stone them with stones. So th this story ends in tragedy and calamity. Achan ended up losing his life and the lives of his family members. Now, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, uh, the, the law prohibited uh, the, uh, the slaying of innocent family members for the results of one of their family members' sin. And so this implies and tells us that Achan's family was in on this uh, sin, that, that they were a part, that they helped with this. And so we see this tragic loss of life, this, this, this troubled moment where uh, this, this sin led ultimately to death. Can I tell you that every choice comes with collateral? That the Bible says in Romans 7 that no man lives to himself, no man dies to himself, that our decisions always affect the people around us. And sin always looks promising, but it always underdelivers. Have you noticed today in our world, in our culture, that when it comes to purchasing things, there are always hidden fees? Have you noticed that? Uh, just no matter what you're trying to do, uh, there's always hidden fees. Like the other day, I was looking at Airbnb, and I saw this place, and I was like, man, that's a pretty good price, and I clicked all the way through, and then I saw at the end, there was a service fee, there's a $300 cleaning fee, there's, there, there's all these fees, and I realized I can't afford this uh, because of all of the fees. Uh, if you go to book a, a ticket for a sporting event or a concert, there's always that service fee, there's that convenience fee. If you've booked an airline ticket lately, you certainly know that there's fees for, for food and for uh, bags and, and if you want to get on the plane a little early there, there's so many hidden fees and this is how the devil works and operates that he always promises something that looks good that looks affordable but there are always hidden fees man I can afford this I can this is not a big deal this is not a problem this is just AI this is just a little bit this is not that big of a deal but there are always hidden fees every choice comes with 
collateral. Now, at this point in the text, it's kind of discouraging. Man, it ends with tragedy. But I believe that as we conclude and read the last verse, that there is great hope. Do you want to see it today as we conclude? Now, this is going to lead us to our fourth and final point, and I'll read this and we'll be done today. Number four is this. Remember that there is always hope in Jesus. There's always hope in Jesus. Notice verse 26 as we close today. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. And so they buried him and they raised up a heap of stones as a memorial. And so there was a memorial in chapter 4 to remind them of God's faithfulness, to remind them of that victory. And now there's a memorial here in chapter 7 to remind them of this defeat. And so they raise up these stones, verse 26. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. The Valley of Achor. A, a play on words very similar to Achan's name. This is the Valley of Trouble. The Valley of Achor. And you say, well, what's encouraging about that? This is the Valley of Trouble. They, had this, they were always going to remember this defeat. But the Bible says this. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, God says this. Are you with me? It says this, and I will give her her vineyards from thence. In the valley of Achor, that place where Achan sinned and lost his life, that place that was a reminder of defeat, that place of trouble, the valley of Achor for a door of hope. Can I tell you today that only the God that we worship can take the exact place of our struggle, the exact place of our trouble, the exact place of our failure. And if you look for it, he will open up for you a door of hope. I'm thankful today that our God can take our mess and he can give us a message, that he can take our pain and he can give us peace, that he can take our turmoil and he can give us triumph. Why? Because that's what our God does. He always provides his grace. And I'm here today to tell you that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Aren't you thankful that he can take the valley of Achor and he can transform it into a door of hope? The prophet Isaiah also talked about this place, the valley of Achor. He said this in Isaiah 65 verse 10, and Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, this place, for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. Are you trying to tell me that the place of this great regret is now a place of rest? that we can lie down in and experience a peace that passes all understanding, that is only something that the mercy and grace and love of God could do. Now, as we close today, we have to recognize that there is always hope in Jesus, no matter the failure, no matter the mistake, no matter the pain, no matter the baggage, that there is always hope, there's always a plan. The Bible says this in Romans 5, verse number eight, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in verse number 21 of the same chapter, that as sin hath reigned unto death, that that sin is ruling and reigning, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. How? How can we experience eternal life? By Jesus Christ our Lord. And so today, yes, we all share sin in common. We all fall short. But I'm thankful today that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he died on the cross in our place to provide for us the forgiveness of our sins so that we could have a righteous, holy standing before a holy God and we can have a home in heaven forever. Why? There's always hope in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.